0: Good morning. How are we doing? Pretty good? Um, I mean, I missed you guys. It's been uh, a long time since we've gotten t- t- to hang out, so it's good to see you guys. Hope your break was awesome. Uh, for those of you who haven't met, my name is Josh. Uh, I had the privilege of being the young adult teaching pastor here at Christ Chapel. Um, but, you know, being a pastor was actually uh, the last thing that I ever saw myself doing. It wasn't really my plan. Uh, some of you guys have heard my story, but when I was a senior in college, my greatest ambition in life was I wanted to move to Nashville, write songs, and date celebrities. That was it. Uh, hot chicken, uh, hot 100, and hot people, that was it. Like, that was my biggest ambition in life, and so uh, my senior year, my life took this kind of drastic turn, and the Lord changed my life in a lot of ways. Um, but because I never really thought about being a pastor, because I never really kind of anticipated what that might look like, I found that once I became a pastor, there were some kind of weird, quirky things that would happen. Um, specifically, one of the things that stuck out to me is that when I would tell people that I was a pastor, nothing shuts down a conversation with a stranger <laughs> Like that information coming out, right? So, like, um, the minute that someone kind of asks me in, in kind of passing conversation, what what I do, and I say that I'm a pastor, it's like this wall goes up, and they just don't want to talk to me at all anymore. And it's really, really cool thing to try if your Uber driver is getting a little too chatty, right? You know, if you're sitting beside a um, a stranger on an airplane and They're asking you all these things. It's like, yeah. So I work as a pastor. Like they won't talk to you for the rest of the time. Like they will just immediately shut up. It's also great if you want to just suck the air out of the room at a party. All right. Like a few things. Uh, like I walk into to a party and they're like, oh hey, what's up, man? I don't. I wasn't going to drink that anyway. Um, and so, uh, like there's 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 just a weird thing that happens. And so when that started to happen, I began to kind of ask myself, like why. When I tell people that I'm a pastor, why is there this kind of wall that goes up that, that kind of makes them want to distance themselves from me? And what I've, I've learned the more that I've talked to people is there's a lot of people in the world that have been wounded or hurt by people in the church. There are so many people that have been hurt by people who are um, supposed to represent Jesus, but they represent Jesus in a really unfortunate way. And so there's all these stories of that. And so um, I've talked to a lot of you, and, and I know that for a lot of you, man, some of that wound and some of that hurt exists in this room as well. That maybe somewhere along the way you trusted somebody or someone who was either in the church or represented the church or someone that you kind of interacted with in the church, they hurt you. And there's this wound that kind of takes place. In fact, um, Barna is a research group, and they say that 40% of people that they ask who don't go to church, 40% of those people don't go to church, not because of theology, not because they don't believe in a higher power, 40% don't go to church because they've had a horrible experience with the local church. So almost half of the people in the world that don't go to church is because there's some horrible kind of negative interaction that they've had with the church. And so we've had a bunch of conversations over this last fall specifically, um, more than we've ever had, about people who've just been wounded by people who didn't represent Jesus well. And so what we're going to do for the next three weeks is we're going to be in a series that we call Church Hurt. And the basic idea is we want to kind of address some of these wounds, some of the things that have actually um, gone down maybe in your life that kind of developed some wounds and some bitterness. And the reason why I think this is so important and worthy of three weeks of our time is that there is a unique bitterness that takes place when we are wounded by somebody in the church. There's a unique bitterness that takes place that just kind of, if we don't address it, it festers and it grows. And and what it eventually does is it um, removes us from relationship with Jesus. And so what happens is that we end up stiff-arming Jesus, not because of Christ, but because of someone who represented Christ. Right? We, we stiff arm our ability to grow near and draw near to Jesus because someone just didn't represent him well. And So the last thing that I want for you is to um, harbor bitterness or wounds that may have happened somewhere along the way. And so um, we're going to walk through three specific things that I think uh, really affect our, our faith uh, by being hurt. And so the first thing that we're going to talk, talk about today is we're going to start this series off by, by talking about um, people who mishandle the word of God. People who mishandle the Word of God. Um, in Ephesians 6, Paul says that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And as I was kind of thinking about that phrase this week, I realized that, you know, a sword in and of itself is not a dangerous thing, right? If you see a sword on the ground, it's not going to hurt you, right? But a sword becomes extremely lethal when someone picks it up and starts swinging it around that has no business swinging it around, Right? <laughs> Because someone who actually knows how to handle a sword well knows that they can use that sword to preserve life and protect life and allow flourishing to take place. But when someone who's not exactly in a place where they need to be handling a sword just starts swinging it around, man, people get hurt. People bleed. People die, right? And so if we really believe that there's power in the Word of God, man, I want us to walk through, let's talk about the wound that may have happened when someone is mishandled the Word of God, and maybe that's your story, May, maybe it's, it's not your story, but my hope today is that as we kind of unpack kind of how and, and, and why these things happen, that we can come to a place where we um, honor and cherish and respect the Word of God as the beautiful, powerful thing that it is, but that we can also move to a place of healing and uh, restoration. And so um, let's start off, um, I want to spend the bulk of our time talking about what do you do, how do you move on, how do you experience healing, um, but I want to start off by talking about, and how does this happen? Right? How, like, like how on earth would someone ever be wounded or hurt by the Word of God? How does that even take place? And so there's one kind of primary reason or primary way that people get hurt through the Word of God, and it's when people ignore context. It's when people ignore context. And let me explain what that means. The Word of God, what we call the Bible— This is the most fascinating, interesting collection of writings the world has ever known. I mean, it is absolutely amazing, right? Because here we have 66 books written by about 40 different authors over the course of a couple thousand years, and it all tells the same story. It says one story, and even within those 66 books, you have all these different genres. So you've got um, books of history and books of law and books of prophecy and um, books of poetry and these letters, and you have all these different things. And as you guys know, because you're educated people, you don't read every genre the same, right? Like you don't read poetry the way that you read history, right? You just don't. They're just written in different ways. And so what happens is you have all these amazing collections of writings. And so when I say context, what we need to understand is that because of all the beautiful things that happen in the Bible, every passage of Scripture that you read was written to a specific audience during a specific period of time for a specific purpose. Right? Context means that everything that you read was written to a specific person, a specific audience, during a specific period of time for a specific per- per- purpose. And if we understand those three things, then we know how to correctly apply the Word of God to our lives in a way that brings life and flourishing, right? But when we ignore the context, when we ignore um, those three things, what happens is that people can get hurt, right? Because we're not actually applying the Word of God the way that the Word of God is supposed to be applied. So let me give you an example of, um, of an out-of-context verse. This is actually my favorite verse uh, to read out of context. Um, I see this verse a lot on mission trip shirts, um, and I'll show you why. So this is Habakkuk 1.5. It says this. It says, Look among the nations and see... Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. That's a great mission trip verse, isn't it? Right? I mean, I mean, just look, I mean, look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. I mean, God is doing a work in our day that's so amazing. We, like, we wouldn't even believe it if he told it to us. I mean, like, that's what God's going to do on the ship, That's what God's going to do in our lives. Like, look at what God is going to do. Right? I mean, that's a, a very beautiful, amazing verse about what God is going to do in our lives until you read the next line. Because here's what it goes on to say. It says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward, and they gather captives like sand. Contextually, this is God telling the prophet Habakkuk, that due to the habitual, unrepentant sin of Israel, despite tons and tons of chances for them to turn from these false gods and come back to God, what God's doing is God's going to allow their enemies to destroy them. He's going to allow their enemies to come ransack Jerusalem and exile them into Babylon. And so what God's doing is he's saying, hey, I'm about to do something that's so gnarly that you wouldn't even believe if I told you. And what that thing is, is your town is going to be ransacked and you're all going to be exiled as slaves because of your sin. I don't know about you, but I don't want that work being done in Belize. When we go to Belize, like I just, like I'm just not praying that over our body. I'm just not, right? Right? And when we take things out of context, like, now, now, now granted, this is not a verse that really has the potential to wound anybody, right? This, this is just an out-of-context verse that we tend to misapply. Right? Because when you see it in the context of how it was actually written, what you find is that, man, like, yes, I do believe that God is going to do a work in our day, but I don't believe it because of this specific verse. I believe it because of the character and nature of God that I see all throughout Scripture. But it's so easy for us to kind of pick and choose these kind of verses out of co- context, and there are some verses that have the power to wound. Right? So prime example of that. Um, in the 1700s and 1800s, there were Christians that took verses out of context to promote and justify slavery. And one, like the, I mean, one of the biggest black eyes in the history of the church is that there were believers, like people who professed Jesus, that would take verses out of con- context to promote and justify the slave trade, right? On the flip side, one of the things that led to the abolition of the slave trade was Christians, believers in Christ, who read the word of God in context and realized, man, if we are all created in the image of God, it means there is inherent worth, value, and dignity to all people, and people are not property. Right? So out of context, people for hundreds of years were enslaved using the Bible as justification. Right? Another example is uh, the prosperity gospel. If you're unfamiliar with that term, the prosperity gospel is this idea that God exists to, uh, to bless us and bless us in, in, a, in a monetary financial kind of way. And what people will do is they'll take verses out of context like uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 that says, says this. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Right? And so, and so they'll take this this kind of idea of sowing and reaping and, and kind of promote this message of man. If you if you give a lot, God's gonna uh, you know give you back tenfold or a hundredfold or whatever it might be. And so there are people all over the world that have been burned because they just give and give and give under this idea that man, if I give this, God's gonna give it back to me tenfold. And people get wounded because they're just giving and giving and giving for something that's not actually true. I actually grew up in a context where um, a lot of my friends were very impacted by this prosperity gospel church. And I saw people who could barely put food on the table. And they're just giving and giving and giving to this church while this pastor flies around on private jets and wears $1,200 Gucci shoes on stage. Because they believe, well, the pastor said, if I gave all this money, then God would return that to me. And it's just a lie. It's an out-of-context verse that just, that just wounds. But let me give you one last example that's a more personal example. Um, I had a good buddy of mine come to me uh, a while ago and say, Hey, you know, I've kind of been feeling this bitterness in my soul. I just kind of want to process through some of this. And so we sat down, and he was essentially saying that there was a, a ministry that he uh, had been discipled by for a long time. And they were amazing and discipled him extremely well and uh, pointed him to Christ over and over and over again. And one summer, they invited him to be part of this internship. And he had really felt called that, that during this specific se- season of life, he needed to go home and just love his family, and just be present and uh, minister to his family in some, in some specific ways. And so they're having this conversation. And he says, you know, I really feel like God's calling me to go home. and love my family well. And the guy quotes to him Jeremiah 17, 9 that says this. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And he says, you know, according to the word of God, our hearts are sick. Our hearts are deceitful. We don't actually know what we really want. And so, man, I'm going to be honest. Like, I think your heart's deceiving you. I think like like I don't think you're actually supposed to go home and minister to your family. I think you're supposed to come do our thing. And so, because then our hearts are sick, hearts are deceitful. Like, how can you actually trust your heart? And he felt this conviction from the Lord to go home. So he went home and his relationship with this ministry was kind of strained. And as we're kind of sitting there, we're talking, he says, you know, I was like, I was such a young believer, I didn't really know what to make of this verse, and but it just kind of felt like they were using the Word of God to push some agenda. It just felt like they were trying to use the Word of God to kind of move me in a direction that had no kind of bearing on what God was actually doing in my heart and actually doing in my life, right? And so we just kind of sat and we read through the rest of the verse, because Jeremiah 17.9 is not a verse designed to make us second-guess decisions. It's a verse that tells us about the power of our God. In 17.10, God answers this rhetorical question. The question is, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And God steps in and says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. To give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. This is a verse that's designed to show us, man, how amazing is our God? That, yeah, despite the fickle nature of our hearts, God can understand it. When we're confused and we don't really know, we serve a God who searches our hearts and our minds and he knows everything there is to know about us so we can rest assured that our God knows us. That's not a verse designed to make us second-guess decisions. It's a verse designed to help us see how powerful and glorious and beautiful our God is. So as we're kind of walking through this thing, um, I felt two things. One, my heart broke. My heart broke that there was an unnecessary wound that had begun to grow because someone just mishandled the Word of God. And I don't think it was malicious. I don't think it was intentional. I think it was just a lack of education. But there was an unnecessary wound that came from mishandling the Word of God. But the second thing I felt was I kind of felt scared because it made me realize how easy it is as someone who handles the Word of God often to just mishandle the Word of God. And let me explain it like this. Over the the last five years, I've gotten to know the leaders of every ministry around here. And there are some incredible people. Like I've gotten to know the guys from uh, Paradox and Doxology and Antioch and Stumo and RUF and K-Life and Young Life and, and all these different ministries around here. And what I know about every single person is that they desperately want college students to know Jesus Christ. And they all long for people to know the life and joy that comes from knowing and walking with Jesus. But I also know that God has given us each individual kind of visions for how to reach the campuses around us. And sometimes in our zeal and passion for people knowing the Word of God and knowing who Christ is, it's so easy for us to mishandle the Word of God in order to help people come be a part of what we believe is going to change their life. And so I say that because as I was kind of processing through all that, the last thing that I ever want is for us to wound anybody in this room. And if we have, I'm so sorry. I'm legitimately sorry, our hope and our goal is that this is a place where when, when the Word of God is preached, it brings nourishment to the soul, it brings flourishing, it brings healing, the way that the Word of God is designed to work. And so if anywhere along the way you felt like we've been pushy or we've tried to use the Word of God to uh, push some sort of agenda or manipulate or to wound, man, I am so Sorry because that is not our intention. But I know how easy it is for people who handle the Word of God often to sometimes just mishandle the Word of God. And so the last thing that I want is for this to be a place where we have w- wounded you, but if we have, I'm really, really sorry. Now, if you kind of listen to all of this and think, you know, I, I have been hurt, I have been wounded by people that have mishandled the Word of God, the question for us now is, then, what do we do with that? What do we do if we've actually been hurt by someone who's mishandled the Word of God? And as we close, I want... I want to give you kind of three specific applications. And the first is this. I want to encourage you to discern between a cut designed to heal and a cut designed to wound. I want you to discern between a cut designed to heal and a cut designed to wound. And let me explain what that means. In Hebrews 4.12, it says this. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two, two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I love this verse because what the author of Hebrews is saying is that the word of God cuts. The word of God cuts. It is like a sharp two-edged sword that has the ability to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow, right? It cuts, but notice, the way that it cuts is with precision. The word of God cuts in a way that is precise like a surgeon's scalpel. It cuts to heal, right? And I say that because maybe somewhere along the way, someone has kind of used the word of God to speak into your life, and you left thinking, man, that kind of hurt. And it's easy to think that, oh, they wounded me with the word of God, but maybe what might have been happening is that they were using the word of God like a surgeon's scalpel to graciously, lovingly cut out what is cancerous to your soul. Because that's still going to hurt. But it's a cut designed to heal, not a cut designed to wound. And what I want is for us to be mature enough in our faith to be able to step back from a situation and say, okay, in that scenario, was that a, a cut from the Word of God designed to heal and bring healing and life and flourishing, cutting out what is cancerous to my soul? Or was that someone who didn't precisely cut dividing bone and marrow, but actually would just swing it around and just wounded me unnecessarily? All right? Because maybe you experienced a legit wound, or maybe you experienced someone lovingly trying to perform spiritual surgery. Right? And so first and foremost, I want us to be mature enough in our faith to be able to discern between a cut that is designed to heal and a cut that is designed to wound. Now, let's say that you've actually been hurt, that, that you realize, man, this was actually a cut designed to wound. I mean, what do we do? And I want to challenge you to forgive and seek reconciliation. To forgive and seek reconciliation reconciliation. Now, I understand that forgiveness is, is one of the toughest things, and especially like actual reconciliation, that's incredibly difficult, especially depending on the gravity of the wound, right? Because maybe for some of you, as you hear it, it's like, ah, I think they just didn't really know what they were talking about. They, they, they didn't have the education, you know, it's really no big deal. And so forgiveness in that sense is actually, man, you know what, it's pretty easy. But maybe you feel like you're in a place where it's like, no, no, they knew exactly what they were doing. They they knew exactly what they were doing. They understood the word of God, and they used it as a weapon, not as a surgeon's scalpel. And in that scenario, man, that can be hard. There is a bitterness that can take over that, man, that is hard to forgive. But I want to challenge you to forgive because that's the model that we have in Jesus that despite the greatest and deepest of wounds, he was able to forgive. Because what we see on the cross is we see um, the God of the universe, one that created everything, step down from his throne and take on human flesh and walk among us in a way and then eventually allow his own creation to betray him, to mock him, to spit on him, and to eventually drive nails through his wrists and through his feet. And as Jesus is on the cross, He yells out, he says, Father, forgive them. So they don't know what they're doing. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Um, One of the craziest things about that scene on the cross is that everyone is around him and they're mocking him and they're yelling, hey, you saved everybody else. Go ahead and save yourself. I don't know about you, but I would have just just blown everybody up in that. (laughs) Right? But Jesus so humbly just says, despite this mockery, he says, hey, they just don't know. They just don't know. Father, forgive them. Right? Like you and I, like, we might experience some wounds, but we have a Savior who's also experienced some wounds. Like he knows what it means to bleed. And the model that he has left, left us is one of forgiveness and reconciliation. So what I want us to, to do is to actually follow the model that Christ has left for us. And what I want to also do to just kind of take that a step f- further is, if you can, I want to encourage you to seek reconciliation through having a face-to-face conversation. I think in the church, we, we really talk a big game about forgiveness, but it's kind of a theoretical, like, yeah, I can forgive them from afar. I'll forgive them in my heart. Um, that's awesome. But, man, if you can, there's something so healing and awkward, but healing about a face-to-face conversation where you seek reconciliation, where you can say, hey, that hurt. When you said that, that hurt. That wounded me. And there's power in that. And I'll tell you why. Why I think that's actually one of the most loving possible things that you can do for a, uh, a person. In, in James 3.1, it, so it says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Um, that is a haunting verse for a pastor, um, because what that verse means is that there will be a day when I, as someone who has handled the Word of God often, will stand before God and have to give an account for how I have handled the preaching and the teaching of his word. That's a daunting. Right? And so my greatest desire is that when I preach the word of God, like I don't wound. I use the word of God the way that it's designed to be used that brings life and joy and flourishing and that points people to the life-changing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I desire. I desire to be able to stand before God and say, hey, I think I handled the word of God well. I think I handled the word of God well. But I also know that I'm a sinner. And I know that there are moments in time when my pride enters into the way that I preach. And sometimes my bitterness enters into the way that I preach. Sometimes my insecurities enter into the way that I preach. Sometimes I lack compassion. Sometimes I lack education. I'm I'm just ignorant. Like my sinful nature enters into the way that I preach. And so there are times when, yeah, I can wound whether I realize it or not. Some of the most loved I've ever felt in my life is when someone has the courage to sit me down face to face and say, hey, I love you. And, 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 and I believe the best about you. But, man, when you said this, that really hurt. When you said this, it was, it was really insensitive. When you said this, it, it felt like you didn't even take my or this group, group, group of people's problems into consideration. I mean, that, that, that was just really hurtful. In those moments in time, and time, it, it breaks me. But I felt so loved that someone actually has the courage to come seek reconciliation. So I think one of the most gracious, loving things that you can do uh, for another person, much less yourself, to kind of help heal the bitterness in your soul is to have the reconciliation that comes from a face-to-face conversation. Again, crazy awkward, but crazy healing. Right? So I would in- encourage you to uh, forgive and seek reconciliation. Now let me close with one last application. Um, and it's this: It's to simply know your Bible to know your Bible. And here's why I say that. Maybe you're, you're in the room and you're like, you know what, I haven't actually been hurt. I don't, I don't feel like I've actually been in a place where someone's wounded me by mishandling the word of God. And praise God for that. Like, I, like, that's baggage that I don't want you to have, right? Like, so I love that you haven't actually been hurt. Um, and so maybe you're like, I, I don't really know how this applies to me. Whether you've been hurt or not, we should all know the word of God because maybe you haven't been hurt, but maybe you have inadvertently hurt somebody else by just swinging the sword around by not knowing what you were doing, right? And I think that what is crazy is that we are a biblically illiterate generation despite the fact there are more resources available than ever before. There's no scenario where, where we shouldn't know what the Word of God says. We shouldn't know the context. And we shouldn't know all these things. We have resources out the wazoo, right? So now, you, you don't have to be some the oh, you don't have to be a biblical scholar, you just have to be curious. You just have to be curious and want to know what the Word of God says. And so if, if you have questions, because, man, what I want for us is that we are biblical beasts, right? That we just know the Word of God in a way where we can speak life and truth to those that are around us, right? And so if you have questions or you want to kind of start that, man, come, come talk to me or drop your email or, t- or phone off at the phone number off the, oh, Or your phone. Who knows? Um, But give me your email or your um, number at the connect bar, and we'll follow up. We'll we'll even post some stuff on our Instagram story today of just some kind of cool, like, podcasts and books and stuff like that that have been really helpful for us. Um, Because, again, my my hope and my prayer is that we are people that value the Word of God, that cherish the Word of God, that understand the Word of God in a way that we can speak life and truth and joy instead of inadvertently wounding the people around us right? The reality is, the last thing I'll say is this. The reality is that if the Word of God truly is the sword of the Spirit, and let's handle the sword well, right? Like, let's not be careless with it. Let's not just kind of swing it around. Let's be people that understand the power that the Word of God wields, and let's handle that power responsibly in a way that brings life and flourishing and joy as we point them to the knowledge of our Lord. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you have um, graciously chosen to reveal yourself to us. That you have given us your word as a way for us to know you and to know your heart and to know your character, to know your goodness, to know your beautiful plan for redemption and restoration. And so, Father, may we be people who marvel at your word, that love your word, And so we handle it with care. That We handle it in a way that points people to you, the God who heals, the God who restores, the God who redeems. Father, for my brothers and sisters in the room who maybe somewhere along the way, they've just been hurt. Maybe someone just didn't have enough education to handle it well, or maybe it was a true manipulation. Father, I just ask that you begin a work of healing. their souls I ask that if there is bitterness that has been residing for years God you use today as a way to begin to slowly break the bitterness up and free them from, from that that you allow them to forgive just as they have been forgiven Father may we be a group of forgiven sinners who forgive because we are so overwhelmed by the grace of what you have done for us Maybe respond by loving others well, but then cherishing your word well. God, we love you. something we Amen.